This is the John Oakley Show podcast. The economics behind all of these things, including uh, the climate activism that's so rife now in this country. Ross McKittrick is an economist specializing in environmental economics and policy analysis. He's a professor of economics at the University of Guelph and has joined the Oakley Show this afternoon. Ross, always a pleasure to have you on. Good afternoon. Hi, John. Thanks. By the way, uh, what do you make of my assessment that there are environmental activists who are being opportunistic here with the indigenous issue? Oh, I think you're exactly right. I think they are piling on and making a difficult situation even worse. Well, in the situation that uh, these people, uh, finding a good reason to exploit the situation, I was reading an op-ed piece in the Financial Post today, Terrence Corcoran writing that uh, in many cases the end game is really to undermine, wait for it, the capitalist system itself. Do you think it goes that deep? Uh, well, I do with at least a, a significant fraction of the activist community because they give every indication that nothing will ever be enough for them, that um, no matter how many projects get canceled, no matter how many concessions get made, it's not like an ordinary environmental policy issue where you say, okay, we're emitting 100 tons of a particular type of pollution and we should scale that back to 85 tons. So we're used to those kinds of debates and everybody knows the parameters and, and you can debate those things. This is more like we want zero uh, emissions and we want zero fossil fuel use and we want to shut down the entire basis of our, our energy system. And um, if, if you assume that that's their starting position, then it kind of makes sense of everything they're doing. Um, because no matter what concessions they get, it's never enough. So I'm, I have to agree that uh, I think there's a large fraction of the activist community that has just gone overboard to an extreme position, and they should be disqualified from the discussion as a result, but instead they seem to be in charge of the discussion. That's an interesting observation, I mean, because we even see it playing out stateside. I mean, Naomi Klein's Green New Deal has been adopted uh, in full by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Bernie Sanders, uh, who leads the Dems insofar as popularity there in their crusade. Uh, he's also accepted that, and they think there's going to be uh, little pain to be suffered because we'll transition flawlessly to a green economy. Uh, where's the flaw in that argument? Well, the flaw is um, that they are saying if we substitute away from an inexpensive, reliable, and mostly clean source of energy to an extremely expensive and unreliable uh, and also mostly clean source of energy that we could somehow make ourselves better off. And it, it just doesn't work that way. If, if you're used to if you can pay $100 and get all the energy you need to run your factory for the day, um, then you're going to be competitive and, and you can operate. And if we switch to a system that now it's going to cost you $1,000 to run uh, your factory for the day, then you're not better off. You are worse off. And um, the uh, the folks that advocate for these green energy transitions, they've been proven wrong decade after decade. They keep saying there's some miracle new technology on the horizon that's going to be hydrogen power or it's going to be solar or it's going to be wind and that it can undercut the existing conventional sources of energy. If that's ever really true, if if ever that day comes... You don't need government policy to bring it in. Uh, the 
folks who run businesses that want to cut their costs and have reliable uh, inputs and energy sources, they will find it and they will employ it. And just like what's happening with the way natural gas is displacing coal in the U.S. power sector, because natural gas uh, fields came online that were cheaper, um, better, more reliable sources. And you didn't need government policy. In fact, it's happened without government policy. And, and so the big flaw in the Green New Deal is if their promise is right, that this is better technology and will be better off, then they don't need to force it through with legislation. Based on that uh, argument you were just talking about, the states and the development of uh, natural gas, uh, are we doing a grave disservice to this country's economy by uh, leaving a lot of the natural resources in the ground? We were just talking in the last segment uh, with uh, an exec fellow at the University of Calgary School of Public Policy and, you know, all the things that have been visited upon Alberta by way of these projects that are stillborn, including the $40 billion LNG project. Uh, we're really, uh, when the United States is going full speed ahead and uh, we could, uh, I guess, uh, replace the need in places like China and India for burning, uh, burning dirty coal with LNG, well, <laughs> why is it then that we're uh, so adamant on seeing these projects canceled or there's no political will to push them through? Um, well, I think it goes back to um, the fact that a small but very vocal group of activists have just um, set themselves against any form of fossil energy. They are absolutists on this. And so from a normal perspective on this, as you allude to, if we're developing natural gas, LNG shipments would displace coal use in other countries. It would lower global emissions, and it would be a great business opportunity for Canada and for the West. Um, the only reason to be opposed to it would be if you're an absolutist and you're opposed to all forms of fossil energy. And um, unfortunately, uh, as I say, those people with an extreme position who really shouldn't be part of the discussion anymore, instead they seem to be in control of the discussion. Again, with Ross McKittrick, economist specializing in environmental economics and policy analysis at the uh, University of Guelph. To that point, you've written an op-ed piece yourself in the uh, Financial Post that's a litmus test of where these people are coming from if, in fact, their whole uh, point of purpose is to see uh, a cleaner environment. You mentioned Jeff Bezos, uh, who's bequeathing $10 billion, I guess, uh, to fight climate change, quote-unquote, and yet not everybody's satisfied with that pittance. Why is that? Yeah, it's quite a a story that... um uh, Amazon employees had formed a, a climate activist group within Amazon, and they'd been putting a lot of pressure on senior management and been disparaging the company publicly over its energy use and its its use of, of uh, gasoline for trucks, for deliveries, and things like that. So at first, the company had asked them, could you please tone it down and not criticize the company so much? And then when that didn't work, um, Jeff Bezos announced this really spectacular donation of $10 billion to a fund to fight climate change. And and you just kind of think that at a certain point, even the activists would have to say, okay, we just scored big and and we're going to be grateful. But no, they turned right around and slammed Bezos uh, as a hypocrite and, and said, we're still waiting for him to show leadership on this issue. And 
it was it was an incredible reaction. But what it reveals uh, really is that nothing will ever be enough for them. So in in my column, I said, look, with the ten billion dollars, Bezos should invest in trying to come up with a really effective carbon scrubber. Uh, just we should find the technology to take CO two out of tailpipes and smokestacks and find a way to dispose of it safely. And if he can do that, this problem would be solved. Like if he could do that for a low price, this whole issue would go away because then we could keep using fossil fuels and we'd eliminate the connection to climate. Um, Most people would think that would be a wonderful development. That would be an amazing technological achievement. But I'm convinced that a lot of climate activists would hate it that they would just be crestfallen if that day ever came because it would take away this argument that they have that we have to shut down Western civilization and industrial civilization uh, if we could just carry on using fossil fuels as before and eliminate the environmental side effects. So um, that's that's what I meant by the litmus test, that if you would look at that scenario and think, yes, that would be an ideal outcome, then you 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 understand the issue properly, and and that's the right response. But if you imagine if somebody ever did invent an effective, inexpensive carbon scrubber, and you would find that would take all the sense of purpose out of your life and leave you feeling bereft and angry, then you've got your head wrong on this issue. Like, uh, and and you shouldn't be uh, you shouldn't be on the the railway blockading traffic you should instead go rethink this whole thing from start to finish yeah and you say carbon scrubbers i mean the precedent would have been the way we fought acid rain with uh, removing sulfur dioxide so it's not again something that's just pie in the sky uh, lastly let me ask you because it's more than activism or maybe activism is rearing its head on another front and that's in capital markets uh you're seeing that in fact uh that may have killed the tech frontier project uh I'll leave that for another time. But Mark Carney is joining the United Nations, and he's going to be their point guy on this. Uh, is that where climate activism now has inserted itself in the capital markets and big business? Yeah, it's, uh, and I just saw a headline that J.P. Morgan is, is cutting all investments in, in coal projects, but also the European Investment Bank and even the African Development Bank. They're, um, they're refusing to fund coal-fired power plants. And what people need to realize is that's not some noble gesture where they're going to reduce air pollution and and make the world a better place. That means the poor countries that really need electricity, that need reliable sources of electricity, uh, they are cutting them off. And um, this is a big blow for anyone who aspires to see the third world develop and enjoy an improving standard of living. So um, it's happening. And I think the people who are uh, making it happen are seriously misguided in their decision-making. We'll leave on that note. Ross, always a pleasure. Thanks for your time. Thanks, John. Ross McKittrick, economist specializing in environmental economics and policy analysis out at the University of Guelph. Thanks for listening to the John Oakley Show podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you get your on-demand audio. 